So for, for someone who's just starting out, you're still bringing the same type of things. You're bringing what your experience is in real estate investing, what your experience is in being able to manage and operate a, a multifamily building in this case. And yeah, your net worth. You're listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hello, Right Club Nation. This is Danielle Saint-Jean, one of the co-founders. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out The Rock yet? What's The Rock? Well, it's the Right Club online community, a place where you can go to find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all the podcast episodes, and hours of videos with a wide range of real estate investing, training, and education, and much more. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, on with the podcast. Right Club Nation, welcome back to another episode. Hello, Alfonso. I'm Sarah Larvey, and uh, Alfonso Salemi is my wonderful co-host. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Sarah. I'm uh, doing fantastic. Really, really good interview. Uh, excited to, uh, to interview uh, with Mark tonight. Uh, he's got an amazing, amazing portfolio of properties. A long-time investor, full-time investor now as well, too, with a lot of experience. And uh, we really go over a few, uh, a few deep, deep dive points about multifamily investing and, and those things that, you know, we always hear about, you know, systems and property managers, but he's actually giving us real usable tips. So this is a great, uh, great podcast for those listeners that uh, want to learn about more about multifamily investing and what it takes. It sounds easy. Oh, I'm just going to do multifamily. Yeah, sure. But there's actual big numbers that he shares with us too. So make sure you, uh, you listen into that. Absolutely. He started at 18, built a portfolio, 100 plus units today. Super interesting and just very genuine, humble. He's actually really humble. He might be more humble than you. <laughs> I know, guy. but to, right? <laughs> such, a, such a nice, such a nice, nice guy, but that's just got a lot of experience. And that's what I think our Red Club members, you know, and, and Sarah, you know what, like, don't get it twisted. You're pretty humble too. Like you kick ass and take names and you know, you do it with a smile and you know, and sometimes, you know, we have to remind people if we have to, but at the same time, that's, that's how we're going to get that longevity. We always talk about that. This is not a tomorrow game. This is not retire in six months. This is not some type of, you know, get rich quick type of deal. This is in the long-term real estate. It goes up and down and upward motion, but you got to be there long enough for that motion or else you might get caught in that down or in that up and get too hyped up. So he's a great example of the longevity, the systems that you put in play and, and really, really shares a lot of knowledge uh, for, for our listeners today. Absolutely. I will say listeners, before you go any further, if you couldn't um, rate and review prior, if you wouldn't mind just spending a couple seconds rating and reviewing and also checking our online portal at the checking out the forums, all of the content we have up, the webinars that we've done in the past that are up. So some great things. Hopefully you guys uh, make it out and we're also available. So if you wanted to reach out and chat with us, we've got uh, uh, time uh, blocks that you guys can actually reach out to us and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with any of the founders. Yes, absolutely. And you can find that all on the website, therightclub.com. And uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram, follow us on uh, Facebook, all the social media platforms that you can find us on. And yeah, rate and review. Can't say it enough. Um, yeah, let's get to the podcast. What do you think, Sarah? Let's do it.
Welcome to the podcast, Mark Gano. Such a pleasure to have you on. Sarah and I are really excited to speak with you, and uh, thanks for being a longtime supporter of the Right Club. We're really, really excited to uh, to interview you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Mark, you know what? For all those of the Right Club Nation that haven't been able to meet you at uh, one of our live events or have the chance to to know what you do, why don't you give us a little bit of a background in terms of uh, yeah, of who you are, what you do, and how you've kind of gotten to this point thus far. Okay, that that could be a while. Um, <laughs> so I'm Mark, and what I do right now is I buy multifamily properties, uh, kind of specialize in multifamily value add, where we buy multifamily properties like 12 plex, 18 plex, 20 plex, that sort of thing. And as we have people move out, we renovate the the units and bring people in that are paying a higher rent, which increases the value of the building. That being said, before I started doing this, I've done just about everything when it comes to real estate over the years. Uh, I started investing in real estate while I was still in university and uh, invested, then took a half dozen years off while I was in the real world, came back, did a bunch more investing, and then took another half dozen years off after we had kids. And then in the past couple of years, I've decided it's uh, time to get off my lazy butt and get back into it again. So I'm really interested. Why the multifamily investing versus all the other types of strategies? Scalability is, is really it. Um, when I was buying years ago and, and buying more single family duplex properties, mortgages and mortgage rules were very different back then. Uh, I mean, I remember one day buying eight townhomes in a day, financing them all with the same mortgage broker, all with the same bank, closing them all in the same day. And that wasn't an issue. As long as you met the, the DCRs, as long as they were cash flowing, the bank was fine to, to finance all eight of them. They didn't care that it was eight of them. It was interesting. The, the one, I've only ever had this condition once, but one of my conditions for the mortgage funding was I couldn't own more than 10% of the complex. And fortunately, there were 88 townhomes in that complex. So I was <laughs> owning eight of them. I was just under that 10% uh, thing that they had. So fast forward to today and in today's environments, I wouldn't be able to buy eight townhomes in, on the same day and finance them with the same bank. So instead, I'll buy a 12-unit apartment building. It still has the same effect of getting eight units or eight doors but it's much easier to finance. It's much easier to refinance and it's much more scalable. Absolutely. I just want to rewind it one quick second there. DCR. Let's give, let's give the, uh, the listeners just so we got that uh, acronym out there. Yeah, no problem. DCR stands for debt coverage ratio. Perfect. Okay. And you maybe since you kind of been using that, why don't we kind of go into explaining that a little bit to our listeners? So debt coverage ratio is one of the ways that a bank evaluates the property. So while an investor will refer to it as cash flow in terms of income minus expenses equals cash flow, a bank is looking at essentially cash flow, but in a different way where they're comparing the income to the expense as a ratio. So essentially a DCR of 1.2, which is what a lot of banks are looking for, means that your income is 120% of the expenses. 
Yeah, they, they, that's great, and, and uh, that's that's awesome. I'm, I'm making notes, tons of notes already, right? So when we're when we're talking about that, so obviously the debt coverage ratio when you're getting into the multi, that's when you talk about that scalability. You're able to do that because if you have a 12 unit, if you're changing 12 toilets, yes, okay, the actual cost amount is more, but your per I don't know toilet cost is down. Is that kind of what we're looking at when we're doing that scalability? I guess. Well. There is certainly uh, economies of scale when you get into multifamilies, but I was more looking scalability from a standpoint of just financing. Um, I'm, I'm at a point with a number of single family mortgages that I have that it is exceedingly difficult to A, get new mortgages and B, refinance the mortgages that I have just because of the, the sheer number of mortgages that I have. Whereas in the multifamily world the, or the commercial world, the banks look at it completely different. So for example, like if I have go to buy a single family home, I go to the bank and it's, it's always fun when you're talking to a new banker because they're like, oh, you're a real estate investor. Great, we love real estate investors. I'd love to have your business. And so then I sit down and I say, okay, so what information do you need? They're like, well, can you give me all the leases? Stuff like that. I've got over a hundred doors. I've got multiple, uh, like dozens and dozens of mortgages when they find out that about me, they're like, whoa, here, wait a minute. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden you see, start to see their face change because they realize they, they can't help me when I have that many doors. Whereas in the commercial world, the multifamily world, not only are they evaluating the, the project, the, the property itself, but they're also evaluating you, the borrower, and what your experience is. So what is a liability in buying a single family home or in getting a mortgage on a single family home and having all these dozens and dozens of mortgages is an advantage when I go to get a multifamily property and they see that I've done this multiple times, I own lots of property. And that's what makes it more scalable. The experience helps. So, okay, so this is quite interesting because there's you know some of my favorite lenders when it comes to residential real estate. What are some of your favorite lenders for commercial? Whoever will give me the money. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm, I've never been super particular when it comes to lenders. Um, what I'm particular about is the terms that they'll, they'll give me the mortgage on. Uh, to me, terms are, are the most important thing, whether it's residential or commercial mortgage. So maybe, maybe for our listeners out there, what, what are some terms that you look for? Maybe try to, um, like you know obviously you want to get all the best terms you possibly can but what are some that you absolutely have to have or you 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 wouldn't do that uh, that lending dealer wouldn't with that lender if they didn't have that particular well it's it's sort of deal specific so i'm doing a deal right now where we're buying a 12 unit apartment building in barry and that deal we're looking specifically for a cmhc insured mortgage we're actually looking at getting a 40-year amortization and because it's CMHC, we're able to get a rate of just north of 2%. That's awesome. And, and that for that particular deal, because of, it's, because of the building itself and how we anticipate that deal going through, having a CMHC insured mortgage at a very low rate is something that will help benefit that deal. That being said, the deal I did before that, which was a, another 12 unit building, only it required significant renovations and was half vacant when we bought it, that, that building would not have qualified for a CMHC mortgage. So we were already looking at a different type of mortgage to begin with in different terms. 
in that mortgage, what was most important to us was that the bank would not only fund the purchase, but also a significant amount of the construction financing. And however, we were, we're at a 7.75% interest rate on it. Um, another deal before that was uh, another 12 unit building in Hamilton, where what made that mortgage attractive was the first year was interest only payments. And then the second year was normal principal and interest payments. So allowed us to get through that first year where we were having the most turnover and allowed us to have lower payments at that time. Was that through a private lender, that one? No, they're all through banks, but they're okay. through um, some of them can, in the commercial, I, how do I put this? There's hundreds of banks out there. It's not just the big five. And especially when you get into the commercial world, there's, there's, you're dealing with banks that most people haven't necessarily heard of. So what are some examples? As far as bank names? Yeah. Um, I mean, a big lender in the, in the commercial world is First National. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the big five banks, and, or the five and a half, if you include National Bank, are still out there, and they're still, and I mean, I, I use them as well. Um, there's smaller banks, uh, Equitable, RMG, Harbor Mortgage, then you can get into even smaller where there's Torres Capital and... Um, like the and, trust companies, credit unions will still do it. Oh, yeah. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's literally hundreds of different options out there. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Right, Club Nation, let's take a quick minute here to meet our sponsor for the week, Blackjack Contracting. They've been serving Niagara, Hamilton, and Brantford areas, and for the past three years, becoming the area's largest basement suite renovation specialist. That's right, and Blackjack works with real estate investors, both new and experienced, converting single-family homes into multiple legal suites and renovating properties to achieve their maximum potential and value. Absolutely, and they've completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between. They handle everything from permitting and design to final cleaning before you list your rentals. And they also have fully licensed electrical contractors certified with the ESA and take jobs of all sizes. Make sure to check them out at blackjackcontractinginc.ca and also follow them on social media at blackjackcontractinginc. And they say investing can sometimes feel like the biggest gamble of your life, but when you have blackjack on your side, the house always wins. So now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show. Just a question. Sorry, Alfonso, before you go. What's that? You mentioned CMHC. And you mentioned 40-year amortization and like a really low rates in today's market even. What are some of the pros and cons of going through CMHC versus not going through CMHC in your perspective as an investor? Uh, the biggest thing is... If you go through CMHC, you're, they're basing the amount of money that they're giving you off of their own internal appraisal, as opposed to what a independent third-party appraiser would appraise a property for. Um, a lot of times people talk about there's sort of three values that a property would have. There's the value on the street, which is what you might pay for it. There's the appraised value, and then there's CMHC's appraised value. So as an example, I bought a property for $1.675 million. It was appraised for $1.5 million, but CMHC's value on the property was $1.3 million. 
So while you might get, so CMHC was willing to give us 85%, but it's 85% of the 1.3 million, whereas a, a non-CMHC loan would only give you 75%, but 75% of the appraised value of 1.5. Yeah, and that's definitely going to impact your numbers when you're looking at that in terms of the lending. That's a huge gap. Of course. From, you know, purchase price to, to what CMHC is lending it, right? Yeah, because then you have to come up with the capital. And the more capital you bring to a deal, the lower your returns are going to be. Yeah, I, I remember that. It was the first property that I ever bought. And it, it was a rent to own and nothing to do with commercial or, or multi-unit. But it, because there was a salon or like a like it was like a hair slash nail salon and it was like... I don't even know, 20% of the whole footprint of the property, mm -hmm. but it was deemed commercial. Yeah. So and no lender would touch it that you was actually use a, I guess you had that 35% down at the time and no other lender would go more than 65 loan to value just because of that small footprint. And I guess it's along the same lines that CMHC is going to, they're going to have their own internal appraisal based on that amount. That's what the amount they're going to give you. Wow, that's interesting. So, but besides going through and doing that actual appraiser and going through having an appraiser come out, is there any way for you to know that? Because like you said, hey, the numbers work for you at 1.67, let's say that you said, right? Mm -hmm. And now when you're coming in and getting it appraised, that's the news that CMHC is giving you at 1.3. Is there any way to prepare for that or know that ahead of time? Or how can you um, forecast that if, if, if there's any way? Experience. I mean, it, it's... It's just because I've done this a number of times, I know walking into the deal what that to expect CMHC to be much lower in, in, their, in their appraisal. Every now and then they surprise me, um, just like every now and then you get surprised by an appraisal. Um, the 12 plex that I bought for 1.8, the appraisal came back at 1.85. I didn't expect that. But con especially considering the 12 plex that I bought two months before that, I was the one I bought at 1.675 and it appraised out at 1.5 and change. Um, wow. It's you, you have to go in expecting if you're going with the CMHC deal, expecting that CMHC is going to appraise it as a, at a lower value and you have to take that into account. But when you're doing your due diligence, so when, when the property is conditional um, and you're trying to get your financing, you're going to be looking at things both ways. You're going to look at it. How do the numbers work if I get a conventional loan at 75%? How does it work if I get a CMHC loan that, where I might be able to get 80 or 85% and be running both scenarios simultaneously? And then, and most of the time, it's going to be somewhere in between, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I know Sarah and I. We we always talk about it, right? Is you know, prepare, for, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and most of the time, it's going to be somewhere in between, right? And and that's sometimes when when I'm I'm stressing out, I remember those words that uh, my friend Sarah <laughs> gives me, and and then you're able to carry on. Um, but I love what I love what you said with experience, right? He said, oh, it's just experience, right? And you're saying over a hundred doors, you know, there's systems. Oh, I picked up 12 here, I picked up 12 there. It's like, you know, you're talking like you're going to pick up the groceries, right? But, uh, and that, that experience does come in handy. And I know, especially in the commercial world that you said, now when you're presenting to lenders, obviously they're going to look at the debt coverage ratios. They're going to look at the, the life. Um, I think the, the remaining usable life of the building, that, those types of things. But when you're giving a presentation, like you're saying, you're leaning on that experience. Okay, I'm I have two kind of a two-part question here. The first question is now, as you, as that very um, 
um, experienced investor, having all that and those systems in place and showing that to the lender, what are they looking for and what are you promoting or what are you putting to the forefront to say, hey, come on, I've done this over a hundred times. I know what I'm doing. Here's what to look for and here's what to show. And then on the flip side, as a new investor that's going out there and maybe it's their first multi, what are some things that they can show or that they can put together to, to, to show the lender? And maybe they're the same. So uh, maybe you can help us with that. Sure. So the banks are looking for your, for a couple of things. One, they're, they're looking for money. <laughs> so they're looking at what is your net worth. So even though they might be lending you a million dollars or uh, 1.5 million, they're saying, well, what is your net worth and what is your ability to basically cover this loan in the event that the property doesn't go how you think it's going to go? So they're certainly looking at your net worth. They're also then looking at your experience, as we talked about, for have you done this before? And it might be where this is your first time doing a multifamily, but if you can say, well, I've done three, four, seven, a dozen single family homes, that experience still counts. Now, it might be tough to jump from doing one single family home to one and with your next deal be, being a 50 unit building, but unless you've got other experience where, for instance, professionally, maybe you've this you've done that professionally where you necessarily haven't purchased a unit yourself but you've been involved with the transaction because you worked as a realtor or you worked uh, as a property manager that had managed 50 unit buildings before so for for someone who's just starting out you're still bringing the same type of things you're bringing what your experience is in real estate investing what your experience is in being able to manage and operate a a multifamily building in this case and yeah your net worth hey right club nation i just wanted to take a moment and introduce you to today's podcast sponsor privatebuyers.ca on your team of experts you're going to want to make sure that you have a great wholesaler that's going to bring you some great deals off market so most real estate investors they're struggling to find their next deal Private buyers, they help investors by bringing them some off-market opportunities at under market value so that they can make more money. These discounted real estate deals are not on the MLS. They've been found by privatebuyers.ca who will then send them to your inbox. And they're also gonna focus on your criteria and your goals and send you some tailored deals that match your needs. It's just really simple, guys. Just go to privatebuyers.ca, fill out the form and start getting and seeing some available off-market opportunities. Privatebuyers.ca. Now back to the podcast. Awesome. I'd like to take a, a little bit of a shift because you know you, you know a lot about a lot of things, and we have half an hour to ask you many questions. I'm curious how you manage so many units. I have always used property managers. When I first started, I was working 60, 70 hour weeks in my day job. And the only way I'd be able to do this is property managers. I also have investments, not just locally, but uh, in Ontario, but I also have in Alberta and BC. And of course, there's no way that I would be able to manage those without property managers. I mean, I've even had investments years ago and uh, I was part of a big project in New Zealand. Um, obviously, I wasn't going to be able to manage that one myself. Very cool. So how do you vet them then? The community is, is a big source for things. So when I went to go out to Alberta to invest in Alberta, I spoke with other investors in Alberta and I got their recommendations for other, for property managers, for lawyers, 
um, realtors, that sort of thing. And you, you, you get the referrals and the recommendations from other people that are in that market. And then, I mean, I, I flew out to Edmonton and I sat down with the, the property managers and asked them the questions that I had to, to get a feel for, for where, where they stood on the different, on, on how to manage the buildings and, uh, and decided to go with them. At the same, I did the same thing when I was investing, when I decided to invest in BC. Um, interestingly in BC, I actually, um, my brother was also invest buying some buildings in, in the same area in BC as well. After I went out there, he decided to go out there. So I took one property manager, my brother took another, took the other one just because that way we had the ability to compare and contrast. That's, that's awesome. That's like a great kind, kind of a controlled uh, experiment, right? Having different people. So with having this many, and you know what, like, I guess it's different with, you know, the, with the rent to owns and the amount of properties that we manage, because for the most part, the clients are taking care of day-to-day things, right? But when you have that many doors or that many properties and you are relying on property managers, what's one thing that like, we always say trust, but verify. So what are, what's one thing that you can kind of, for a property manager that maybe the ones that you've enjoyed working with versus the ones that you haven't, that just maybe kind of that intrinsic thing that you can only learn from experience that you said, you know what, maybe ask them this question or here's a tip or I wish I would have said that. I would have known way before that you can share with our listeners that that's a good way. Because a lot of times when we're getting and we're looking at scaling, we always want that property manager. And as we know, there's a lot out there. We, we have trusted partners within the right club that are property managers and that we know they're good. But for those people that are going to new areas or places where besides reaching out to the community or maybe they don't have a good stronghold of that area, well, what's some kind of interview questions or kind of things that you do to kind of weed out the, the crappy ones? That's an easy thing for, for listeners to do. So first and foremost, does that property manager also invest themselves? Um, if the property manager is an investor, they already have an advantage because they're already, they know what it's like. Um, so that, that definitely is the first one. The, the next thing I look for isn't something that I can see in advance too much, but is once I'm, I'm working with them is to see what their reporting is coming back to me. Um, I like when a property manager's reports are clear and they're concise, but they're detailed enough for me to get a, a really good idea of exactly what's going on in the, in the projects, in the properties that they're, they're managing for me. And that can be not just, so as an example, I don't want to just see that there was a thousand dollars a month that came in for rent and a $120 plumber's bill and then their fee of, of $80. And then this is the amount that you get. Okay. But why did I get a plumber's bill and what was going on and having, do they scan in the receipts for the plumber so that you can actually see the receipt the actual invoice from the plumber so that you know exactly what was done so that you, you can see that they're not necessarily upcharging. I don't mind if a property manager is upcharging where the plumber's bill is a hundred dollars and they charge an extra 10% for them to organize having the plumber coming in. Some, some property managers do that. I don't mind if they're doing that as long as they're upfront about it and it's very clearly detailed in their, their reporting. Yeah, absolutely. That's why you want to see the contract or you want to understand what you're being charged for. Cause some people will say I'm like 5% or 4% or 6% or whatever that amount is, but then there might be some hidden fees behind the scenes or somebody could be 
eight, 9% monthly, um, as a property manager, but there might be a lot more things included. How do you vet through all of that? Again, as I said, it's, it's a little bit of the uh, getting a feel for what they, I, I hate to use the word feel, but I feel is what I go with a lot of times. Um, there's the recommendations as we talked about from other people and referrals from other people in the area. They're seeing what the reporting's like, seeing, touring the type of properties that they're with. So um, one of the things that I've done is I've gone to the different buildings that that property manager manages for other clients to take a look at the buildings, take a look at how well they're maintained, take a look at the type of tenants that they're placing in those buildings to make sure that that actually fits what I envision my buildings being managed like. That's a great piece of advice. I don't think I would have thought to specifically ask to go and see some buildings and potentially, I don't know, some units in the tenants that they're asking for, but. Um, well, I've even gone and spoken to the tenants at other buildings that the property managers manage to, and ask the tenants what they thought of the property manager and and why, like if they had complaints about the property manager, what those complaints were and why they were complaining about them, why they thought that was bad. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing because I, as, a, as an owner, might want my property manager to be the same thing. I mean, if the tenants complain that the property manager gives you an N4 the day after the rent is due, and they're complaining about that, saying the property manager is very it's terrible because they're hard. They're they're hard on you if you're if you're late on your rent. Well, that might be something I want my property manager to do too. So even though when I talk to the tenant, they're complaining to me. They're just reassuring me that I picked the right property manager. Very true. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like a little bit of an undercover. And and I've heard tips as well too. Like you know, some people that have had you know large portfolios and in, in lots of multis is that they themselves or a spouse or a friend actually kind of goes undercover. Undercover and- shopping. Yeah, and tries yep. to apply to be a renter at another building, right? Where it's I've done that as well. Of, oh, wow. Okay, that's amazing, right? Because then you get what to actually that? see their process in real life, not just what they're telling you, because they're going to tell you it's amazing and it's so great. The clients love it. But if you go through it yourself or have a friend or somebody with a different last name or something like that, yep. uh, go through that, you're able to see what's real, right? That's amazing tips, guys. And Mark, that that's amazing. And and I love how it just, just naturally comes out. And you're like, yeah, just do that. But that is... Guys, I don't know, like you said, you were investing when you were in university. So, and oh, I don't know, you're probably 21 now because you look so young and, and, uh, and <laughs> but, uh, but that's guys, that's years of experience that you can, that, that comes with that by learning the wrong way, learning the things that you did the wrong way, but now gaining other well, I've made my fair share of mistakes. I've, so I've... that's a great, that's a great segue. Maybe let's talk about one one thing you should never do or one thing that you've done, you're like, oh, I hated that I did that. And you know what? You can, we know you're a modest guy. You're a successful guy, Mark. We don't want to, you know, bring you back to the whole, the negative and be negative about all that stuff. But what's, what's one kind of uh, a common mistake that somebody that's looking into the multifamily world or, or currently investing in multifamily and want to scale, that's a common mistake that they make. Um, this isn't specific to multifamily, but just in general is, you really have to do your due diligence on everything, not just the property, but if you're going in, I mean, some of my biggest mistakes were as the money partner on other deals. So um, there was uh, the first uh, 18 unit building that I bought, uh, I was the money partner. 
and another, it was uh, uh, a guy that I knew quite well. He brought the deal to me and the initial thought was the initial budget for renovations was 250,000. We spent just over 1.3 million in renovations. Wow. 1.3 yonis. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not good at math, but that's like what? Six times <laughs> the budget. <laughs> hey, there, yeah. there were a couple of cash calls. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. A couple of pretty significant cash calls, but so, I mean, mistakes that were made there, obviously the, the renovation budget was nowhere close to what it should have been. Um, and I, I mean, this was back at the time when I was working my 60, 70 hour weeks and I simply trusted. I didn't, I didn't double check that the renovation budget was accurate to go through everything. I was just, a deal came to me, said, okay, we're buying the building for 650,000. We're gonna spend $250,000 on renovations and then will it'll be worth x when we're done um i said great sounds good here's my money um i didn't i didn't do as much research as i should have i didn't double check on as much things as i should have because i trusted that the person that was doing it was they they were well versed they they weren't this wasn't their first time doing it but they got a little sloppy and and as a result their number their numbers weren't accurate and of course there were surprises that came up in that in that building as well the deeper we dug in the more surprises we got we, we pretty much had to rebuild the building brick by brick how did you exit on that did you did you just lose? Still, you still own it, it? still own it. we actually just today we started the the refinance process on that in august and literally today, after being at the lawyers last week, signing everything, it still took a week because the lawyers were still finding other documents that they needed changed and additional documents to be signed. Finally today, I got the email from my lawyer about three o'clock this afternoon saying that they've agreed to fund. I still haven't got my check yet, but they've agreed to fund. So long-term, a bad, originally, not as great deal can turn out okay. Yeah, I mean, we've owned that property now for nine years, and it's an 18-unit building in Hamilton. So we've, I mean, we bought it for 650. We put, like I said, roughly 1.3 into it. So we've got say 2 million invested in the property. It's probably worth about three and a half right now, quite easily. That's awesome. All right, long term in the market. It's not about timing it. It's about time in it. Got it. That that's amazing. Exactly, so, um, Mark. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, like what you're doing is simply, it's amazing. And, and the amount of success that you've been able to, to accumulate. And I know and when, when, you're, when you're in the right club rooms in, in, in our, at, at, our, uh, at our events, you always have a group of people around you and you're sharing your information. You're so willing uh, to, to kind of share this information. So thank you so much. And uh, I think we've reached the, uh, the part of our podcast that we're going to do our, uh, our lightning round. So are you ready for the lightning round, Mark? Bring it on. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com, or by email, daniel.patton 
at butlermortgages.com or michael.zenzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. Question number one, Mark, what is the best advice you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Probably best advice is be patient. It's, it's something that I have to work with. I, I admit I've got the, the squirrel syndrome and where I I'm, I'm, can sometimes be quick to act. And so being patient and, and recognizing that, um, well, actually this was Don Campbell that he said, I mean, the deal of the decade comes around about once every week. So be patient, recognize that if, this, if it isn't the right time for you for this deal, there will be another one. Yeah. Opportunities are like buses, right? Exactly. So uh, depending on which street you're on, there's always a, a bus coming eventually, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. All right. So question number two, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? Favorite investing resource. I mean, nowadays there's, there's so much on the internet. It's, it's kind of hard not to say the internet because it has everything, anything you could ever possibly want to learn. It's, it's on the internet. Um, that being said, you should be selective in who you're listening to. Listen to people like Sarah, listen to people like you, Alfonso, um, just because there, there actually is some misinformation out on the internet as well. But uh, it's kind of hard to argue with just the vast quantity of information that's out on the internet. All right. I think that's the first time uh, we hear that answer. So thanks. Uh, number three, Mark, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? persistence um it's it's a matter of just the the journey of a thousand miles begins with a, a single step it's about just putting one foot in front of the other and, and keep on doing it um i've i'll admit i've been quite fortunate i mean i've been able to accumulate a, a, a significant amount of real estate uh, but at the same time i've had significant uh times where i've fallen down um, yes, the, the cash calls that came with that, that, that one building is one of them, but I had another, uh, deal where I lost almost 750,000 in one deal, but at the same time, you just have to keep going with it and, and recognize with that, well, yes, it sucks to lose 750 grand in one deal. You can still keep going and make that back. Yeah. And for those listeners that almost just drove off the road or, or hit the car in front of them with saying it, Mark says it so calmly. That's a shitload of yeah, money. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, you know, you say it so calmly, Oh, 1.3 million and 750,000. But guys, it's true that patience, persistence, it does pay off at that one point you are going to be able to sit back and say, Hey, that was a $750,000 lesson. But you know, how much did it make you, you know, in terms of experience and, knowing that you're never going to make that a mistake again, not to say that, you know, you're always going to be perfect moving forward, but that experience gives you almost the confidence, the courage to actually be more steadfast and, and more persistent in what you want to do. So um, let me get question. Just a quick question. Was this at the same deal or was this an additional <laughs> second? Deal? No, the, the, this was a different oh, deal. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good. At least and, it was a different and... one. <laughs> so wait, we got to bring you back in because I want to hear more about this. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first one that we talked about, that one, quite frankly, is, as I said, has worked out quite well, even though the, that 18-unit building where we had $1.3 million in construction costs instead of 250000 that one worked out quite well because we still own the building. Like, as, as I said, we just refinanced it again, and it's worth significantly more than what we had into it. 
the other one that was a $750,000 loss. Admittedly, that one is all gone. There wasn't a, sort of a single line, silver lining with that one where mm. the, the building is still there and we're still making money. That was, uh, again, where I went into business with uh, a couple people that, uh, that I knew that, uh, that, I probably trusted a little too much and didn't do the due diligence and didn't take the time to, to, to really research things properly. Yeah. Do your due diligence guys. That good lesson. There there was, you know, there was a, um, a real estate coach or mentor that I had back in the day and he was always like, find out why you shouldn't do the deal. And if there's no, if there is, that's hard to uncover and you can't find a why reason why you shouldn't do the deal then you should probably do it, right? Looking at it from the negative perspective. Because sometimes I think we do get eager, right? And we get those experiences. Well, here's a bus. Let's jump on it now. Let's get an opportunity. But having that patience, taking a little bit of an extra step, knowing that there's more coming down the line, I think is a good, a good way to look at it and not kind of a chase mentality, but versus, you know what, when it's ready, but still taking the action and doing the right step. So let me round out the uh, the lightning round. And it's the last question here. We kind of get off on a tangent. Yeah, there. but it, this is great. And it just emphasizes more why, you know, you're such a, it's yeah, real it's life. real life. It's true. It, this is what happens. So, um, so typically, you know, we, we, uh, we're recording this on a Monday evening, but sometimes we record this on a Sunday, but on a typical Sunday morning, Mark, what are, what are you up to? What are you doing? I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so a typical Sunday morning would probably involve at least one of my kids uh, jumping on my head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, once they jump on your head and get you out of bed, what what are you guys up to? What are you guys doing? (laughs) Um, Preferably just spending time with the family, especially on Sundays. Um, Real estate can be all-encompassing. It, it's something where, I mean, a lot of people will have their full-time day job, the Monday to Friday, nine to five sort of, sort of thing. And they're doing real estate investing evenings and weekends. Um, I did that myself. And even though I've stepped out of the, the professional world and I'm investing full-time, real estate still can be all-encompassing. And it can, it, I mean, you can do real estate, you can work on your real estate business on a Sunday morning, you can work on your real estate business at two o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Um, But you have to set boundaries and make sure that um, families first, so that you set aside time for family and say, well, yes, I I could analyze another property on a Sunday morning, but I want to spend that time with my family instead. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Spend time with those that matter. Because money will come, money will go. So awesome. Mark, where can the Right Club Nation, our listeners, reach out if they wanted to know more? Um, easiest ways to email me directly. Uh, obviously, you guys will be able to put uh, post my email, but it's mark.gano at gmail.com. So M-A-R-K dot G-O-N-N-E-A-U at gmail.com. Um, I'm trying to drag myself into the 21st century. So I have Instagram now, um, which Sarah is laughing at me. Um, so I do have an Instagram. It's called, it's at the armchair investor. Uh, and I am, this is one of the things that I'm trying to do is, uh, be more visible. Um, I've, I've spent a, a number of years investing in real estate and I've really almost purposely kept myself invisible and, uh, I think it's time for people to actually get to know who I am. 
Well, and, and that's a great, uh, a great step on, on being in our podcast and, and sharing your knowledge. And, and we hope that our listeners reach out and get in contact with you. Any, any other last words of advice or anything that you'd like to share with the Right Club Nation? Um, there's so much knowledge out there. And there's, in terms of in groups like the Right Club, from the different people that go there. And there's lots of people who, for instance, like myself, are not necessarily the most outgoing individuals in the world, but they still may have a wealth of knowledge. And don't be afraid if you see somebody in the room that's sitting there quietly at a table and not necessarily interacting with people, they may actually be sitting on millions of dollars of real estate. And go say hi, introduce yourself to them. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for your information and sharing all of your information and knowledge and expertise with the Right Club Nation. Thank you so much. Thank you for pushing me outside my comfort zone. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Mark was an incredible guest. I uh, I, I made a whole bunch of notes here. Um, What a great, great interview. The multifamily strategy that, you know, I've dabbled in and had a few different investments. I know, Sarah, um, you've got the, I think it's a three going to the four or four to three. I forget exactly in Hamilton from the multi uh, level, but when he's doing it at, you know, hundred plus doors in the multi, that is scalability right there. Absolutely. He's got so much knowledge, so much experience, and he comes out to our club and he's really, really, um, you know, available and willing to help other investors, which I find absolutely amazing. And, uh, I've learned a lot from asking his, some, him some questions today and finding out how to best source a property manager. And also, like, it's not always great. You can also lose some money and, uh, you know, just there's pros and cons. And uh, there's definitely some downside to real estate investing. But, you know, it's, it's all about mindset. And it's about what you mentioned, perseverance and patience. Yes, absolutely. And just how calm he was. In terms of, yeah, it was 1.2 million instead of 200,000. I'm like, oh my God, like if I would, oh, if I had more hair to lose, maybe I'd lose my beard hair in that kind of, <laughs> in, in that sense. But again, you can see the calmness of it. Now, I bet you if you found or rewind back into that moment when he's doing those cash calls, probably not as calm, probably not as uh, chilled as he was in today's interview. Um, but however, that's that's the experience that you can only get by experiencing it and going through it and getting involved and taking the action to get on to the steps. You can sit back and be like, oh, no, I'm never going to do that. Because look, Mark lost you know, $750,000 in a deal. I'm never going to do that. But if you don't get in there, you don't have the opportunity to actually advance either, right? You get stuck in that in that a paralysis waiting for that home run. And and he uh, and he I forget who he quoted, but he said, you know, there's an there's a new offer. There's the deal of the decade every week comes out, right? And I think that might have been Mr. Don Campbell. And uh, and it's true. It is true. There's lots of opportunities out there. You got to find what fits right for you. But you got to go through some things that maybe aren't for you to figure out what is for you as well too. Yeah. And I think part of that is just you buy a deal every week. Let's just say you buy a deal this week. In 10 years from now, it'll probably be pretty good. And I think that's part of it too, is it, you know, every week you can find a deal of the decade. You just got to hold it for a decade. And, uh, I, I, you know, don't look for the slam dunk home runs every single time. Cause you're going to be looking and not taking any action and not anywhere further in five years or 10 years, but buy something that's decent course you don't want to speculate but you want to find you know good fundamentals you want to find something that cash flows well 
and ultimately you hold on to it for a while and that deal will become a great deal over time. Yeah. And, and we'll have to have Mark on again, because he, again, he takes his responsibility saying, Hey, maybe I didn't do all my due diligence. There was issues with the property. The partner that he had maybe didn't reveal everything as well too. Um, and again, you have to go through that guys. No one has their crystal ball to predict the future. Um, you have to work with the information that you have, but go out there and don't be lazy to go out and get more information and ask the questions. Cause if you don't ask in that moment and you think about it, it's, it's gone. And that moment's gone. You have to ask and be sure of that. And if you're not ready to move on, then don't do it. But, uh, and you know, surround yourself with an amazing community. We think the right club is, uh, is the best community out there that you can associate yourself with and learn from these people. So then when Mark is on a podcast like today, say, you know what, he had a partner that, you know, six times, seven times the amount of the budget, maybe you get some questions that you start developing for those future partners or contractors or people that you're going to be working with that you can help avoid it. We're not promising you're going to avoid all of it. You got to go and make your own mistakes. And when you do, we want to hear from you so that you can share it with our community. But, uh, but yeah, it was a great, great session today with Mark and uh, debt coverage ratio. I've heard it before. You've, you'll hear it again. It's a huge, huge thing when you're looking in the multi. And, and that was probably one of my bigger takeaways from today. Absolutely. Right Club Nation, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you from Sarah and Alfonso, Laurel and Daniel and the Right Club. And don't forget, come and grow with us. See you guys next week.